welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy. Hi, Kingdom Culture family. I'm so excited to be here with you guys this morning. Welcome to the whole Casey family and our extended family everywhere out there watching. We're excited that you're joining us this morning and we have an incredible special guest with us. Two special guests actually. And so just to echo what my wife said, we are super excited. My name is Sean, this is Michelle. And we've had the amazing privilege of continuing to lead the Kingdom Culture community through what is called a pandemic. It's been absolutely bananas and seems like there's no end in sight. At least if you live in Ontario, uh, in Canada, we are blessed with great restrictions still. But hey, we're making it work. Yes, we make it. And we're finding ways to continue to come at you like this every week. want to welcome all those that are new with us, that you maybe just joined in, you just kind of landed here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We have two amazing guests that we're going to introduce to you in just a few moments. Uh, really our counselors, which yes. is a super amazing opportunity for us to share them with you because they've had a huge impact on our life, yes, our marriage, yeah. our parenting, yeah. our friendships, our leadership. And so we get to share. I know that many of you have watched my interview with Dr. Glenn. It was just a one-on-one interview back in July. This time it's two-on-two. Michelle and I, uh, with Dr. Glenn and his amazing wife, Phyllis Hill. So we're so excited about today. Before we introduce them to you, I want to just talk about the focus of this conversation. I, 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 if there was a title, if you're taking notes, write this down because I believe this kind of shapes and kind of creates a flow for where the conversation needs to go today. And that's processing this season, processing this season, developing emotional habits. I think a lot of bad habits have been developed in this season. Oh, absolutely. But it's also an opportunity to take those bad habits. And a lot of times they're highlighted. I don't know about you, but my bad habits have been highlighted a lot in this season. It's kind of like a magnifying glass. Yes, it is a magnifying glass. Absolutely. I think for everybody, I think a lot of people, whether they're experiencing the good of this season or they're experiencing the bad of this season, I think that for every one of us out there listening, we've developed habits. And in this conversation today, I believe God is going to give you and speak to you what some of these emotional habits need to be for healthy marriage, healthy parenting, healthy leadership, healthy friendship, and just healthy life in general. So processing this season, developing emotional habits. So without further ado, we want to introduce to you Dr. Glenn and Phyllis Hill, some of our favorite people. How are you guys doing? Hello, hello. Welcome from uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. So we are also experiencing uh, restrictions Mm. and navigating through all of that. And we love that we can connect with all of you through uh, Zoom. I think we all now know what Zoom is Mm. and um, how to navigate that in in this world 
So we are appreciative of this opportunity and it has, this year has been tough. It has affected, I think all of us very differently. Uh, for Glenn and I, we, uh, just a little backstory, we've been married 38 years, uh, have four grown children, have 10 grandchildren. They all live near us, which we've been thankful for, especially yeah, through this absolutely. season of being quarantined mm. with each other. That has been very special. Uh, for me, I, uh, through this season, um, well, the beginning of this year, was a owner of a company have owned it for 15 years mm. and it was a hard hit. And I saw a great company almost uh, completely shut down at the beginning of the year in March, April. And I would have never in a million years dreamed that this could happen and never had a downturn in all these years. And it was overnight, like literally, and that was mind blowing. And it was for me emotionally, it just ripped me apart mm. and I did not uh, even understand. And I think at first for a lot of us, you know, you kind of had that, well, for two weeks, we're going to quarantine and then everything will be back to normal. Mm. So just enjoy your two weeks and get used to it for two weeks. And I think for a lot of business owners to go from, okay, let's adjust. We can do this for two weeks, you know, to go from that to no, this is not going to end and things are going to shut down for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And how do you manage that? Uh, how do you help your people? So we, Glenn and I have really dealt with things very differently. So what about for you? Well, the, the same time that um, Phyllis's business was banking, uh, which startled us, she was running an incredible business for so many years. Mm -hmm. And that was just, we expected that that was normal. And through no, fault of her own or her people or anything, things just imploded, uh, which is just so startling. You know, if you'd said to us a year ago, this was coming, we'd be like, we don't think so. But simultaneously with uh, what I do, it went from live workshops to uh, webinars. Uh, and so it exploded the same time that her business was imploded, uh, which has been so much excitement for us. There's so much joy in it. Uh, but it's been a very, very different experience because the exact same time that she's just so overwhelmed and flooded with fear and sadness, I'm flooded with joy. And literally there were times that we'd walk in the room or I would walk in the room and she would be in tears. And I was really excited about telling her about some new development. And I'd be like, oh, no, this is not the time. This is not the moment uh, because she's experiencing it uh, so very uh, differently. Our background, just so you know, Phyllis mentioned we've been married 38 years. Uh, our, the beginning of our relationship was horrific. Uh, probably the first, realistically, the decade and a half uh, was pretty overwhelming. And, uh, that's important that we convey that to you because we know what it's like to live in pain, uh, to live in disconnection, and to get to go through this uh, last year, the last numerous years, because now we live in deep, deep connection uh, every day. Uh, this is my field. I study this all the time. Uh, I have a master's uh, in marriage and family therapy. Uh, now, my PhD work is in sexology, uh, which is kind of a, an unusual uh, field, but is so crucial for, uh, particularly with partnered pairs, as far as what they're uh, dealing with. But because of that, we have uh, just had phenomenal opportunities to reach out to other people uh, and now are international, uh, having uh, contacts throughout the world on uh, all the continents except for Antarctica, penguins are just that uh, interested <laughs> connection. Uh, they're unusual. But anyway, it's just been such a delight for us to get to 
connect with so many people uh, literally around the world uh, because it's just uh, we're dealing with the human condition what happens for people in the human experience uh, so it's not just about theory or philosophy uh, but all humans need connection we are hardwired for this we are designed for this Phyllis and I are faith-based people we believe that God designed us this way but even if it's evolutionary this is how humans are this is how humans function so we're super excited about getting to share uh, with you some of that today and also as far as the things we'll be sharing about how you can get involved uh, in this because it's what everybody needs it's what everybody desires uh, unfortunately many people have given up uh, on the idea of deep connection because they don't know how to do it amazing and if i get to say this this couple is a powerhouse couple and i know dr glenn kind of mentioned it briefly but you know he's kind of an anomaly in his field that he's faith-based and yet he's He's got a PhD in clinical sexology, but also a family therapist. And uh, they're just a powerhouse couple. And we're excited because we've had the privilege already of hosting two webinars on behalf of them uh, in the last several months. And hear this, we're hosting one when? Coming up in November, guys. November. So stay tuned for the details. You're going to see it today on this broadcast. November 9th it starts. You're going to want to sign up for that. I'm telling you. It will be a game changer for oh, yes, you. Absolutely, guys. You won't regret it. There's no way. We've only see, heard good reports and amazing testimonies come out of this. And experienced it for our own lives. So oh, absolutely. It's, it's and been our absolutely. Kids. And our kids, yeah. Yes. It's been absolutely game changing. So you heard some of the language Dr. Glenn used in the beginning about flooded with joy, sadness, and that may be uh, terminology that maybe you're not familiar with. And we're going to dive into what that looks like based on their practice, what they've built over the years. But I kind of want to start off just to shape scripturally sort of where I'd like to go and we'll kind of see what happens. Let the Holy Spirit lead in the conversation. But one of the scriptures that really stands out to me and always has stand out, stood out to me is the scripture, the shortest scripture. I know that in the original language, there were no commas um, so and, and no breaks in verses. And so it's kind of just one long, one long thought or process. But in our manuscript, we have the shortest verse found in John 11, verse 35. And it says this, Jesus wept. Such a powerful statement. And I think that in these types of verses that stand out amongst the rest, there's something to take notice of. You know, I think a lot of people out there feel like God is not emotional. Like God doesn't care about emotions. God doesn't want you to have emotions. There are people that actually believe emotions they're not emotional. Are bad. Yeah, emotions are bad or a negative. Yeah. And I think today I'm really hoping for the God of emotion to reveal to you that emotions, yes. when they're processed right, yeah. are actually a really good thing and pave yes. the way for healthy, absolutely. healthy life. Yeah, absolutely. It's an amazing tools. Emotions are amazing tools for us to be able to connect with the world around us when you think about it, right? And I think in this season during pandemic, a lot of emotions come up and people have been discouraged and some have been even encouraged. And so I want to talk today with both of you about what you think about that scripture as a starting point. And then let's dive into um, the connection code, sort of your practice, what your practice is based on. And I know you guys have some really cool things you're going to do as far as activation to kind of model it for us. So I just want to let you take the floor a little bit and let's dive into John eleven thirty five. What does that mean to you when Jesus wept? Yeah, well, for us especially, we both uh, grew up faith based. Um, we have a long, rich heritage uh, of, of church communities, of uh, connection with God. But I was raised. Uh, it was very clear that emotions are bad, and that the part of the 
quest of life is to shut down your emotions and whatever you do, don't convey them. And that's a centuries old practice. It's not something that developed just in my family or my community. Mm -hmm. uh, most people in this culture and most of the cultures that we uh, are in, encountering now have been given that message that emotions are bad, they're unspiritual, they're immature, they're irresponsible, they're ungodly, uh, whatever. But now we know, and so much of the connection codes are based on just the science, what's mm -hmm. happening with people uh, based on research. This is not, again, not just a theory or a philosophy, it's just science, what's actually happening uh, for the human condition, for the human experience. And when we start to understand that, that humans are just, it's an ongoing life process, uh, mm -hmm. experiencing emotion. It's not something that you get over. People learn how to suppress them. People learn how to try to ignore them, step over them, avoid them. But you will never uh, move past emotions any more so than you will move past oxygen. If everyone says, if someone says to you some uh, point that, oh, I don't use oxygen anymore, that's not true. They may think that, but it's not true. Mm -hmm. Every human on the planet uses oxygen. If someone says, I don't do blood anymore. I don't require blood. That's not true. The only people that don't require blood are deceased uh, people. So if someone's saying that to you, that's a pretty funky uh, experience because it's not possible. The same is true of emotion. Uh, we know this now just based on brain chemistry. Uh, that the brain has five neural regions that are connected to emotions. That's true for everybody on the planet. Uh, so if someone says, I don't use oxygen, I don't use blood, I don't use emotions, it's not true. They may be denying it, they may not be aware of it, but it's simply not true. All of us are emotion-based people. And the beauty of it is emotions are good for us. They are actually trying to help us. Now, unprocessed emotion becomes negative, but when we're processing emotion, the emotions are our friends, they're our guides, they're our consultants, they're trying to give us a message. Simple example, you have a four-year-old is running toward the street uh, because uh, her ball was bouncing down the driveway. Uh, you hope that she gets hit with fear because if she doesn't get hit with fear, she's going to chase that ball into the street and quite possibly get run over. The fear is trying to protect her. The fear is trying to keep her actually in joy because if she doesn't feel fear, she may end up in the back of an ambulance headed to the hospital, and now you're completely out of joy because you are concerned about literally her life. So the fear is a good thing. Uh, fear guides us, protects us, and says, hey, pay attention. It awakens us to danger. It gives us the message that there's a threat. There's something that we need to really cue in on and be uh, aware of. And if you don't have fear, you are going to be dead soon. That's true for everybody. It's fear that keeps you from walking off the edge of a cliff. And if you say, oh, I'm fear-free, well, good. You're going to be plummeting down a large cliff soon uh, because you won't have the awareness and the ability to pay attention uh, and not walk off the edge of a cliff. And again, there are endless things that way uh, where uh, the, the emotions are trying to give us a message. They're trying to protect us. Uh, get us to uh, do the things that are beneficial for us and ultimately help us to become the best versions of ourselves. Uh, an emotion, one of the core emotions is guilt. Uh, I want Sean hit with guilt. If Sean never gets hit with guilt, Michelle is in trouble because Sean is going to continue making the same bad mistakes over and over and over again. And after a while of this, whether it's days, weeks, months, or years, Michelle is going to be at her wit's end and be like, oh my gosh, this guy keeps making the same mistake. He keeps uh, doing these things that are 
I feel so much pain over. And he does them repeatedly. Well, that's because Sean's guilt-free. <laughs> he never learns anything. He keeps repeating the same terrible mistake, the same harmful mistake mm -hmm. with Michelle uh, continuously. And eventually Michelle's going to be like, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm just lost now. He hurts me over and over again. And he doesn't have the ability to learn. He doesn't have the ability to so emotions are a beautiful thing. Uh, without emotions, we are really bad versions uh, of ourselves. And that's our heart's desire is that people learn that and that we can re-educate ourselves. Uh, now, we're faith-based. We believe that God designed us this way. These emotions are amazing. Uh, they help us to live life successfully. They help us to connect with other people, which we all need. That's what we're designed to do. Uh, and that's our desire is that everybody gets really good uh, at uh, figuring out what these emotions these are conveying to us. You know, for, for many of us, I think that we def the definition, like the definition of emotion, can change everything you're even hearing in this moment. Right. Because a lot of us were raised, uh, I know for me, um, grew up in a home. My, my father was a pastor, loved God. We loved God as a family. But I learned at a really young age, being the youngest of eight children, that uh, it's better to be quiet. Mm -hmm. So I was very quiet as a child. That was my level of obedience was just being quiet. So I never expressed uh, emotion. And I grew up with a bunch of brothers. And they, to me, were extremely loud and uh, emotional. So that I grew up thinking that's really bad. That is a bad thing. And so as a young adult, I thought that my spiritual um, steadiness, my spiritual wisdom, my spiritual maturity was based on the fact that I never showed emotion and I was not affected by emotion. Well, I learned the hard way that that's not true, that it was, it was firing in my brain. I was just not... Uh, I was resisting it, I was not processing it, and it caused me to go through a season of unhealth. And um, that is what awakened me to the fact that, man, I am not in touch, and I have suppressed and I've ignored, and I thought I was doing it because that's, that was the right way. I thought that as a spiritual being, that's what was expected of me. And, you know, Sean, you mentioned uh, that the, even the scripture where Jesus wept and that, that it was one of those, like, if you really can like break that down, it almost shows, I think for some of us, like a weakness, we mm. see that as a weakness and, and the, you know, how sad is that? It's like, um, and it's interesting for me as a person, I lost my dad at, tw I was 25 years old when my dad died. And I was hit like a Mack truck, like physically struck. When I got that phone call that he had died, I, it was a physical experience of pain beyond anything I thought was humanly possible. And it's kind of like that was a, a, a door opening into my life where I had so much grief that I could hardly function. And I did not, it was like my first journey into very intense emotions and I did not think I would recover. And, you know, it's, it's different things in life that kind of at times hit us and we realize, wow, there's something going on that is beyond my control. Like that level of grief 
was not something I could just ignore or suppress or get around or run from or get ahead of. It just was all consuming. And I cried every day for a year through that incredible grief of losing my dad. And it, it taught me some things, but unfortunately it didn't teach me really how to even process the emotion. So after a time, I kind of went right back into my shell of being strong enough to not have emotion. And I missed, I missed so many opportunities, you know, that opportunity even to learn how to grieve. Uh, it's like when you go through something like that, you can actually grieve with other people beautifully if you'll allow yourself. If you will see it as a beauty, if you'll see it as an opportunity, you know, Jesus wept, even though he knew what was happening next, he still wept, which is so beautiful. It's like, we need to be able to just sit with people and weep. And I think we often want to fix people. We want to fix the situation. We want to bring a scripture to cheer them up instead of realizing, no, just go sit and weep with them. And, you know, this year for a lot of us has been uh, very challenging and it, it, it makes you question and even feeling judgment from other people about your own emotion. Yeah. And that it leads us, if we're not careful, to some really unhealthy things. And, I, you know, I always kind of lately have been in conversations where you, you wonder what the articles are going to be like in 2021 and 2022. Mm-hmm. And there's a few coming out even right now where people are identifying that this, this, there's more to this pandemic than just the fear of an actual virus. It's like, what is this doing? This loneliness, this isolation, what is that causing to our elderly who've been isolated? Like there's there's some mental health issues that are going on right now that are huge and they're growing even as we speak and how people, they need hope. They need help to know uh, how to process their emotion through this incredibly difficult year and even if you haven't lost everything, like even if this hasn't been a financial uh, devastating year, there's still been, you've been cut off from what is normal for you. You've been cut off from travel. You've been cut off from family. You've been cut off from friends. Even in our church culture, church community has changed radically this year. And that has been very difficult to to figure this out. Like what in the world? And And I think that we are so quick to judge each other and want to say, oh, no fear, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's like, we're getting hit with fear and let's teach each other that that's a, we can process that fear. We can be open with each other that yes, I'm experiencing fear. I'm experiencing loneliness like never before and sadness and hurt through this. Those are core emotions that are firing in our brain and we need to let them out. We need to verbalize them and give each other space in that, be able to sit with each other in that. That's so good. And I 100% agree that it's so important to process all of your emotions. But something that we keep hearing all the time, and what would you guys say to those? Because, you know, you hear people say in the church all the time, don't be led by your emotions. We need to be led by faith, by the word of God. How can we bring health and restore that statement? Because I know that it's been used as soon as somebody shows emotions. It's like, that's the comeback phrase that a lot of people will chew back at them. So can you just come, what would you say to someone who says, well, you know, we're not to be led by our emotions? I remember as a kid growing up in church, 
And, you know, I was in this culture that said emotions are bad, emotions are immature, emotions are unspiritual. But then I would hear uh, scriptures read, uh, especially like from the Psalms or Jeremiah, uh, Habakkuk, there's so many of the the prophets that would uh, convey these emotions. And I can remember sitting there, and this is, you know, whatever, when I'm five, six, seven years old, thinking, well, this is just bad Bible. Uh, These scriptures should not be saying what they're saying. Of course, it wasn't so many years later. I was like, wait, wait, that that is Bible. It's not bad Bible. That's Bible. But I was hearing this message from the the culture around me that said, you shouldn't be doing this. And yet I'm seeing this. Certainly, Jesus wept. And I can remember as a child thinking, well, that was irresponsible. Uh, of Jesus, you know, he, that that just doesn't make sense. Uh, you know, when Jesus is in the Garden uh, of Gethsemane, he says, "I'm overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death." And, you know, if Jesus could have ever been suicidal, he would have been there. He's so overwhelmed. And I remember thinking as a kid that, well, we, too bad we weren't there to correct him and mm. you know put him on a good path and tell him that he needed to be more like Jesus. Wait, he is Jesus. So that was always so confusing to me because. The culture around me said, don't do this. And yet the very Bible that we were reading said, no, we do do this. This is what uh, happens for people. So our goal is just to get people to process the emotion. And that's probably the sad thing is that people's uh, functioning and their faith is so damaged because they don't process uh, the emotion. Uh, The emotions are not always accurate. We listen to the message and we have to decipher it and sort through it. Uh, but the emotions are trying to give us a message and tell us something. That doesn't mean that uh, we're going to do exactly what we feel like doing in the moment. Uh, One of our Connection Codes protocols is we say uh, emotions happen to you. No one chooses their emotions, uh, but you're responsible for the next action. Uh, You're responsible for the next behavior, the next decision uh, that you make, but you use the emotion to help you figure out what the best choice is uh, moving forward. So we just have to get, the the, the problem is that the emotions block us from making smart Mm -hmm. choices. And if you're trying to resist the emotion, shut it down, ignore it, suppress it, uh, actually that blocks you from making uh, the best uh, next uh, decision because we know that the emotions fire in the brain before the thought does. Uh, In other Mm -hmm. words, things process through the limbic system first. And that's true for every human on the planet. So there are no exceptions uh, to that. And then... Uh, the cortex is engaged. The cortex is where thought, reason, logic uh, occurs. And again, we're faith-based. God designed us this way. And this wasn't poor architecture. Uh, this wasn't bad physics. This, God just didn't understand what was uh, the right thing to do. No, this is how humans are set up. We are set up to get hit with emotions first. Now, usually it's a microsecond, uh, but the emotions engage first, then the cortex is the thought uh, logic. So if we don't process the emotion first, we actually are dumber versions of ourselves uh, because we can't think straight. You've heard people say that, you know, I'm so upset I couldn't think straight. They're actually quite correct. That's exactly what was happening. The emotions were flooding them so intensely that they couldn't even uh, think straight. Uh, So we have to process emotion first. I believe that's so much of what a prayer is about. I think that's so much. If you just read through the Psalms, through those lenses, it makes sense that, oh, okay, these people are processing emotion. Good. I want them to process emotion. Uh, when Jesus sat with the sisters, uh, he knew what was going to happen soon, but it didn't matter. He was going to be present with them. He was going to process the emotion uh, individually himself, but also uh, in connection with them. 
uh, then they were going to do the next uh, thing, whatever that next action would be. But that's true for all of us. Uh, we all need to process the emotion Absolutely. first. Uh, and Absolutely. that's just how humans are wired, whether we like it or not. That's just the way it works. And we've experienced that ourselves. So, because what I'm hearing from you and by experience is just the simple act of processing, just verbally, the right core emotion is where the power is. Is it's there's healing in itself right there, like just the power of just the spoken word of just releasing it. Doesn't mean that there's going to be this crazy action or crazy decision that needs to be done afterwards. But there's just healing by just simply conveying in a safe place that emotion and I know for us it was like we didn't need a solution we didn't need to hear okay what's happening next what I'm gonna do what do I need to do to about all this emotion it was just I feel better just by saying it yep and I wonder I wonder too if I can say this I wonder if in John eleven thirty five, when Jesus it says Jesus wept Jesus obviously knew that him processing the emotion that he felt, because he loved Mary and Martha, and he knew, like you said it, he knew that he was going to resurrect Lazarus from the dead. Four days, he was taking a sweet old time, he even made this statement, this has happened, to reveal me and my glory, and so he knew he was going to resurrect Lazarus, but yet he, when he met with them and he felt troubled by what was happening, he processed his emotion and wept. So it's like, it's interesting, because Jesus was... Fully man, fully God. John 1, 14, you know, he's the word made flesh, dwelt amongst us. He tabernacled amongst us and he felt what we feel. We see that in Hebrews chapter four. He, he felt what we feel. And even him, God, the creator felt better after processing the emotion. I love that. And just while we're on that, if we can just do this one thing, I know for many people watching, maybe you didn't see my first chat with Dr. Glenn. We went through what's called the um the wheel of emotion the emotional wheel this is sort of what the connection code practice is based on and i wonder really quickly i know that many of you may be watching have already seen the first interview but if you haven't for those that haven't if we can we'll put it on the screen and if you can just quickly identify all the all the different emotions and that that the brain that the that humanity experiences based upon your research and then let's just talk about what it looks like to go through that in the context of relationship, because I, I want to see, and I want to see it modeled from you guys, what it looks like or what it has looked like for you guys to get stronger as you've learned to process your emotion. Yeah. Well, I mentioned before that there are five neural regions associated with emotion. Those are, that's what the emotions are housed uh, in these regions. And uh, the human brain is incredibly complex. So we oversimplified a little bit just because otherwise we wouldn't be able to take us three and a half hours just to explain one emotion. Uh, but the uh, two of the emotion, two of the neural regions we divide because the emotions present so differently, uh, affectively, they just look different. For example, well, the five regions are anger, fear, um, disgust, uh, pleasure, and uh, what am I missing? Pain. And uh, the disgust region of the brain, uh, we divide it into guilt and shame because people behave very differently when they're experiencing guilt than when they're experiencing shame. And in the pain region, uh, they look uh, similar on the brain scan, but they're distinct enough that we actually divide it into hurt, uh, sadness, and uh, loneliness. All three fire in the pain region of the brain, but they just look different uh, on the brain scan. A hurt is a sharp stabbing pain. It really lights up uh, big peaks 
and its sadness is doesn't have those big peaks, but it's thicker. And then loneliness is kind of a dull, uh, aching pain. So uh, that that's how we end up with the eight uh, core emotions. And again, this is just true of everybody. And all of the other emotions are combinations of those eight or hybrids. Uh, for example, hope uh, would be a hybrid of joy and fear. You know, someone says, oh, I hope this happens tomorrow. Well, there's joy in that, but there's also fear that I don't know if this is going to happen uh, tomorrow. I'm hoping it is. There's excitement and there's joy in the idea of it happening, but there's also uh, fear. So hope is an emotion, but it's a hybrid of two different four emotions. Uh, and again, that's true for, because we don't even know, there's thousands and thousands of human emotions, but they can all be brought down to just what's firing uh, in the human brain. We designed the core emotion wheel for a variety of reasons. Uh, number one, just to retrain people to get back to their original coding. All of us did this really, really well when we were 10 months old. Uh, Sean especially, he was so cute back then. Um, yes, when he was true. 10 months old, a long time ago, Sean, you're older. Now. Um, but when Sean was 10 months old, he was really good at conveying authentically. Nobody ever sat around and wondered what was happening with Sean. Everybody knew because he's coded to convey that. And if he wasn't coded to convey that, and again, this is not cognition. Sean didn't wake up in the morning and go, oh, let me think through what my needs are today. I have to be sure and let mom know what's happening with me. No, it was automatic. It's coding. It just, he didn't, never thought it through. It just happens. Well, that's true for all of us because we're never recoded. Uh, we got reprogrammed along the way, but we never got recoded. There was no birthday where we went in to Sean's brain and rewired it so that it functions differently now. No, it's the same coding uh, as then. He just got messed up along the way, and all of us did, as far as I know, uh, through so many different variables, you know, from interactions, people, events, circumstances, et cetera. Uh, so we get knocked off course so that we don't function the way we're designed uh, function. So the core motion wheel is designed to be uh, very directional. It's also designed to be brief. Uh, it takes a maximum of four minutes uh, because our goal is for people to do it every day. And people get it down to two and a half minutes, three minutes, where, uh, because if it's a 10 to 15 minute uh, exercise or more, you're not going to do it every day. It's just a fact. People are not going to do it. So our goal is to do it every day to get retrained. And again, we say retrained because you did this well when you were little. Uh, somewhere along the way, you got knocked off. So we're just trying to retrain people to convey, because the fact of the matter is, Michelle can connect with the authentic version of Sean. That's who she likes. If she knows what's happening with him at the core, she can dance with him all day long. If she doesn't know what's happening with the authentic self, the authentic Sean, she gets lost uh, very quickly, and she doesn't know what to do. Uh, and then she also, because she's not a mannequin, she gets hit with her own emotion. So now we've got this whirlwind that starts picking up speed and going to hit cyclone level uh, pretty quickly here. But if Sean gets retrained, gets good at conveying to her at the core what's happening, uh, then connect with that. Again, that's true for all relationships, uh, not just married by any means, but it's true for children, with neighbors, with coworkers. Uh, with anybody and everybody. If we know what's happening at the core, uh, we can connect uh, with it. Am I answering the question right? Yeah, that, that, yeah that's great. Absolutely. That's I, really I think good. so. I mean, you guys see the wheel on the screen right now, and you see all the different we um, emotions at the center. You have joy, you know. And one of the things I love about this practice and what Dr. Glenn and Phyllis really push and encourage is to practice. Uh, will create a culture really within your home or whatever you do, business or leadership or whatever, 
of of process going through the wheel and processing these core emotions. And I think um, some of us maybe don't fully have an understanding of what it feels yet to feel shame, or maybe we're still learning about when we are sad. Because I think a lot of us have been so unaware of our emotion. And like, I don't know if I feel sad. I don't know if I feel joy. I don't know. You know, and I think that's, I think that's normal. I mean, you're the doctor. I think that's normal. And I think as we begin to practice this day in and day out, we become more aware and more sensitive to these emotions. So can you talk a little bit about how you've implemented this in your marriage and then maybe model it? And I know it's not just about the wheel per se. It's about the con- the concept but just maybe encourage us. How do we practice this? How do we do it? What does it look like? Can you model it for us? You know, I think for me, uh, I do really well when I think about all of this in a different context. And what I mean by that is, um, I think that we live in a culture where we can eat very unhealthy pretty easily, or we can eat healthy. Our bodies want us to eat healthy, but because of our culture, we are drawn to fast food restaurants. We're drawn to bags of potato chips. We're drawn mm. to um, pizzas because we love them. They taste great and mm. it's, it's easy. Yeah. And uh, for, for some of us, we grow up in a home where uh, we eat junk all the time. And then somewhere in adulthood, we go, oh, I'm so tired of feeling horrible. What is this? Why do I feel horrible? Or our metabolism slows down and we're getting extra pounds because we can't eat that way anymore. Somewhere in it all, we start to question, um, what is healthy? What is, uh, what does our body really need? And so for some of us, we, we weren't brought up that way. So we have to relearn everything. We have to be educated on terms. What is organic and why does it matter? It's more expensive, makes me mad. Why should I buy organic? Well, you begin to educate yourself. Mm. Uh, you drink diet sodas and someone says to you, that's not good for you. Well, why not? I like them. Well, you start to educate yourself differently. And you mm. find out that your body wants exercise. And you're like, well, that's stupid. Mm. I want to just sit on a couch all day. Well, no, your body doesn't like mm. that. And your body starts to react because you're not exercising. Well, then you, you figure out your body wants to exercise. But it's the hardest thing you've ever done in your life. And you think you're going to die just trying to walk to the mailbox and back. What's that about? Why is my body resisting exercise? Well, you're going to have to retrain it. It actually is getting used to the couch. And it wants you just to stay there. So emotionally, it's kind of like the same thing. We have to realize that we need good emotional health. And when you first accept that that's actually a thing, then you have to go into, well, how was I raised? And what do I understand about emotions? And um, I've realized about myself that I was raised in a spiritual culture where I'm allergic to guilt because I associate guilt with going to hell Mm. and sin. And so I, I don't ever do anything wrong. I have no guilt. Because that's how, in a, in, a, in a biblical culture, I was raised. And so I'm very allergic to guilt. It's really hard for me to realize, wow, I just really did that poorly. Uh, Glenn and I had an interaction this weekend where I made a decision to bring all the grandkids home to spend the night. That's not difficult. 
but I didn't talk to Glenn about it. I just made the decision and it got really complicated because we can't fit them all in one car. So we had to have multiple cars. And because you have 10 of them, just for the record, you have 10 yeah, grandkids. Them. And so it wasn't until they, we brought them all home, we got them all to bed. And then it was the next day that once I think the chaos died down and they, the parents came and picked them all up that Glenn said, you know, I felt a lot of loneliness in that because you didn't talk to me. Well, I responded by saying oh, guilt and, he, and that's all he needed. He was like, thank you. But it's hard for me to acknowledge that really I didn't do that the best way. So would you call that, would you call that just curious if you, when you say guilt, would you call that an apology? Like in a sense, would that kind of feel to Glenn? Like that was her, that was Phyllis acknowledging my feeling and almost a new version of I'm sorry. Just curious what you think about that. I mean, one of the connection goes protocols. We say that apologies are free. Use one today. It doesn't matter. It doesn't cost anything. But Phyllis and I basically never apologize to each other. Uh, not because we can't. We just don't need to. Um, I would rather know what's happening at her core. I would rather know what's authentic with her than for her to give an official apology. And we haven't really apologized to each other in years. And I'm not talking about little things, you know, if I open the refrigerator door and bumper, I might say, sorry, babe, uh, but relational stuff. Because I don't really, typically, for most people, what I've observed is that apologies are almost defense mechanisms. Mm. You know, someone will say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And they're, they're really almost pushing away. It's not a connector, it's a disconnector. So and again, if <laughs> Phyllis had apologized, that'd be fine. But that's not the value in it for me. That's not the connector. For me, the connector for me is to get what's happening with her at her core, at her authentic uh, self. So we just don't even view it in terms of uh, an apology. Again, apologies are free, use them, whatever, I don't care. But that's not really what typically connects. Well, it's interesting because I feel like, I feel like, you know, repentance, breaking it down, is basically changing your perspective, getting a God perspective. And, you know, being able to, it's not like, oh, I'm sorry, God. And, yeah. you know, it's almost like, God, I'm feeling the guilt. I'm feeling the shame. I'm, it's almost like, I, I mean, I would almost, for those that are listening, almost say it's almost like another form. It feels like to me yeah. of an apology because you're acknowledging your feeling from my response to what you did or didn't do. And I, I feel like that, yeah, I see that as a connector versus like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And God's like, or I'm responding I'm sorry, to your just story. To shut the other person yeah. up and just like you're like, oh, okay, fine. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, so many people just says it just because they just don't want to conflict and it's just like, sorry. But then they walk away with so much uh, unprocessed emotion. Dangerous, yeah. dangerous. Yeah. So I would love it. I mean, we're talking about processing this season, developing emotional habits. And so I would love it if. Bring us into your world a little bit. So you're in this pandemic. Phyllis, you're a businesswoman, 15 years, success. Dr. Glenn, you have a really successful practice helping marriages around the world. Um, things are changing, pandemic, you know, you're on lockdown. You're not meeting clients like you used to. Both of you are going through a process. So teach us right now, model to us if you can, what it would have looked like to be in your private conversations, processing, using the wheel as sort of like the method, processing the emotion that you're feeling. Well, and let me just mention that the core emotion wheel is not the goal. It's a tool. It's a means to an end. 
My goal is to get Michelle to be able to turn to Sean in real time, in the moment. That we do the core motion wheel endlessly. The goal is to do it every day to retrain because Michelle got messed up along the way and knocked off course. She not she didn't volunteer for that. This is what happened to her, and she got messed up. And so we're retraining Michelle's brain to get really good at this, so that she learns to access, identify, verbalize uh, the emotion. So the core motion wheel itself is not the goal, but what it accomplishes. Uh, and Phyllis and I have done it so much now that we kind of breathe this. Mm -hmm. uh, literally, if you followed us around for a day, we process emotion. Uh, we, one of our sayings is the first time, every time, anytime, all the time, as instantly as possible. Uh, our goal is to start every paragraph with the emotion that's hitting us uh, because it changes the whole dynamic for us. And the emotion is the connector. Uh, we call it the logistics, not the logistics. So if I walk in the room literally and say, uh, babe, where, where are the car keys? That's a different experience relationally than if I walk in the room and say, Ooh, I'm feeling some fear because I can't find the car keys. That cues her in to me. And it kind of sounds like semantics, but it's not. Because now she gets it that I'm behaving a little bit funky because I'm getting hit with fear. That's what the issue is, not whether or not the car keys are put back where they were supposed to be uh, or whatever. So, but yeah, we can do um, the wheel. Are we doing the issue specific? Yeah, have to that. so I think that um, <clears throat> what Sean is asking is that we demonstrate how we okay. use the wheel. And the thing that I find by talking to other people that is the power in this, especially for people like me, who mm -hmm. I can identify one or two really quickly, joy, definitely. Um, but because I grew up in an environment where I was allergic to guilt, mm -hmm it's harder for me to actually identify. It gets so muffled in my mind and it gets so easily derailed. And then that alone becomes a disconnector in relationships because I, I am so, it's almost like I put myself so far above um, even knowing or connecting at all ever with guilt or shame. And, and how unhealthy is that for myself, my own being, even in my relationship with God, like that just really separates, like I'm disconnected from that, even in that relationship. So uh, we will do this exercise to, kind of as an example in, um, and we chose to talk about at what we call an issue specific wheel. And we chose to talk about just the pandemic and how, so these are all eight emotions are tied to how this has affected us this year. Yeah, but let me clarify that when you do the core motion wheel every day, uh, the goal is just to convey one of the eight or all eight, but uh, each of the eight emotions with what's happening with you in the moment, that day, that week, whatever. Uh, this is what we call an issue specific wheel, where you pick a specific issue and you're processing through the emotions connected to that uh, issue. This is really, really powerful whenever you're stuck relationally, when there's tension between you and you can't seem to get past it. Uh, or if you're making a big decision, uh, buying a new car, or, you know, moving to a, a new uh, home or something like that, uh, because it helps process through the emotion first, because then, again, you're a smarter version of yourself because your cortex is able to engage uh, clearly, whereas whenever the limbic system is flooded, uh, you can't even think straight and make poor choices. Okay, who's going first? I'll go first. Okay. So I felt a lot of sadness this year in all the relationships that I've lost, mm. that I haven't heard from, I haven't seen in the year. Um, 
I've I felt a lot of hurt about how friends have turned on friends mm. and have chosen sides over the pandemic and how they've handled mm. it. I've felt a lot of loneliness uh, this year with just owning a company and seeing the the struggle that has really brought out a lot of loneliness for me. Wow. Yeah. Um, mm. Fear of the future. Will we ever see the the old normal, or will we have to now create a new normal? Hmm. I feel guilt, and how I've judged others in this whole process, and um, that has also affected me. I think in my my friendships, um, I feel a shame in hmm. just how I was really drowning in all of this in March, April, May. And that I couldn't, I couldn't seem to get out of that. I feel a lot of shame in that. Mm. Uh, I feel anger in the, uh, in the untruth of the media. How it, it seems like, you, I have felt just, can I trust this article or mm. not trust this article? I felt like the media has not been honest through this year, mm. through this pandemic. Um, joy. I have felt tremendous joy in just um, being stuck with you a lot this year and quarantining with you and mm. having so much more time with you has brought a lot of joy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, for me, um, there's been a lot of loneliness that people are so mm. hesitant, uh, even in my private practice when I do see people in the office, which is rare these days, but uh, you know, people don't know whether do we shake hands, do we hug? Mm. So there's just that distance uh, that's different than how I normally uh, function. Yeah. And even seeing friends, uh, you know, are we supposed to hug or, or not? Uh, and, and that brings a lot of sadness. Uh, mm -hmm. I think, gracious, our relationships are affected, and especially with this is my field. I know that it's crucial that yeah. we have human touch. Mm -hmm. That is just so valuable. So personally, I feel it, but then also looking around and thinking, man, a lot of people are not being yeah. touched. They're, they're not involved. They're not connected mm. with others. A lot of sadness, a lot of pain yeah. uh, in that. I feel hurt from people's judgment at mm. times. And, you know, I don't always know if it's what I'm just experiencing internally or if people are judging, but there are times that it feels painful. You know, if I'm out in a parking lot by myself, I don't put on a mask and look mm. around me and people that are wearing masks look at me. Uh, again, I don't know if that's just what I'm experiencing, but seems like they're looking at me in judgment that, mm. you know, I'm bad or wrong or evil. I don't have a mask on 100% of the uh, time. Mm. I get hit with fear about mom. Um, mm. You know, she's 92 and mm. uh, just, uh, I don't know. I mean, she's incredibly healthy. It always amazes me at age 92. Uh, but I think that puts her in the very much the vulnerable population so both her being out and about but then also i think well could mm. we be asymptomatic and you know, give her something and not even uh, realize it uh, there's a lot of joy for me in what the year has brought mm. i mean i'm blown away on so many different levels uh just getting to be with you now and you working with me full time has been mm. spectacular i think where we're headed you know happening and seeing other people being affected mm -hmm. by the connection codes, seeing this, uh, John Carr, the tsunami the other day, which is really picking up speed. And because uh, our dream is to change the world, help the whole, whole planet. So I think we can do, we can reach a lot of people.
Um, I feel anger. I was thinking the other day, who was the first person that had COVID-19? Mm. I think, dang, dude. Uh, or it could have been a female. I don't know. But, man, a whole bunch has come from this. A lot of harm. Uh, and I don't want to be mean to that person, but I think, goodness, that's, this has changed the world. Literally yeah. changed the world in a yeah. negative yeah. way. My goodness. And just because of that first uh, case. And of course, the first person may not have even known that they had yeah. COVID-19. It wasn't called that. Uh, a lot of anger mm. that really gotten out of hand, mm. uh, obviously. Uh, I've felt some guilt just in judging others. Mm. Uh, I know that people get hit with fear, and uh, probably uh, some of that fear is uh, perhaps unwarranted, but they're feeling fear. Mm -hmm. And so they're overly cautious. You know, I've had people that uh, we've had people that are like, I, I can't come over because right. of COVID-19. And they're like, oh, yeah. So I feel some guilt because I've been unfair, mm -hmm. uh, just judging some people. Because I know that it's real. I know that it's happening. Right. Uh, sometimes I'm unfair in my judgment. Uh, then some shame in that because I think I, I need to be kind. Mm -hmm. uh, I need to be a good-hearted person, especially all the more in my field, just to be aware that, Mm -hmm. uh, this is real for them. They're not trying to feel fear. They just feel fear. Uh, and is it necessary the, the extent to which they're taking precautions? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe not, but they have that right. Yeah. So I don't have the right to be unfair to them, to be unkind. Mm -hmm. Wow, thanks for sharing. Wow. wow, that was so good. So powerful. We can see the connection right yeah. there as you guys do it. I mean, it's undeniable. I think that has, I have to say, like, on the webinars that we've hosted with you guys, that's one of my favorite things that you do when you do an issue-specific uh, wheel, whether it was on the late night talking about sex or the Connection Codes webinar, the first one we did. It's one of my favorite things because I think we all need models. Yeah. Okay, how do we actually go about doing this? And I can just hear a lot of people, and I want to transition it to Michelle. She has a good question. Uh, a lot of people wondering, okay, that seems so hard because you guys have been living this for years. I know for us in the very beginning, it was hard, harder. It was, you know, I, I don't even know if I feel that emotion ever, you know, or, you know, I can't access an awareness of that emotion. And so I think there's a lot of people out there that would say, oh, not for me, can't do it. I don't have emotion. Emotions aren't good. Like well, you have yeah. a good question around that. I mean, even if you do, you look at that and you're like, no problem for me. I have amazing emotions. I know how to process my emotions. Uh, I would challenge you to, you know, we thought we're good at that. And we were disconnecting and they're connecting because we weren't processing our emotion in a healthy way that is safe for one another. That brings us close together. So this is why like, uh, anyways, um, of course, I'm going to encourage you guys to do the webinar. If you can, you won't regret it. But one thing that I, I know that some people, maybe one of you guys at home struggle with is I could not do that. You guys looked at that and you're like, I could not, I could not talk about my emotion like that. And you, or you know about the, the, the core emotion wills, you know that you should be processing emotion and you just ha you've had, you're stuck, you're blocked. You can't access your emotion. Uh, it, whether you're just kind of like feeling embarrassed or you're there's shame there for you, but you're just completely stuck and you're like, there's no way that I would ever do what they're doing. So what would you say, um, Dr. Glenn and, and Phyllis, um, to that? Like, why do some people, well, what happens there? 
when some people get stuck. I mean, my response would be like, oh, you need to go see them, you know, privately, get a session in with them, get that breakthrough that you need so you can be freed. But, you know, what's a starting point that they can start from home right now to help them just to like open up that bottle a little bit? Yeah, well, one of the things we didn't talk about, a, a huge connection codes protocol that's crucial is what we call the OOH. Uh, and, you know, when Phyllis is sharing, I'm not trying to fix her. I'm not trying to explain anything. Uh, I'm just ooing her. And the ooh has several dozen versions, but it's just an audible response where I'm just going to sit with her. Because, again, I recognize that she's not trying to feel fear. She's not trying to feel sadness or pain or fear or guilt or anything. This is just what's happening to her. It's literally brain chemistry. So I get that, that this is just what's happening uh, to her, and I'm just going to be present with her the ooh needs to be audible so in other words i'm not just shaking my head uh, i'm literally saying some sort of grunt or some noise so that she hears me we have research on this that the, her brain activates differently whenever i'm audible with her than when i'm uh, not and if you think about babies you know when the 10 month old starts crying we don't go in and try to reason through with them that they shouldn't feel sad they shouldn't feel lonely they shouldn't feel fear well they're not trying to feel fear they just do so hopefully, and I'm, I hope that that's not how somebody is as a parent, you need to stop feeling lonely. You need to stop feeling sad. You just stop it and for sure stop conveying it. We would never do that, I don't think. I hope not with a 10-month-old. Well, the adults are just the same way. I get it. We're a little bit older, but we're just older babies with the same way. So the learning to ooh, just be present uh, with the other is a huge part of that. Uh, I may not even get it. The ooh is not agreeing. I don't always understand what's happening that phyllis experiences that she just does she's not mm -hmm. trying to so i can tell her to stop it you stop feeling that right now that doesn't help any at all mm -hmm. and if i say you stop telling me about that you stop conveying to me what's happening with you authentically all she's going to do is go tell somebody else mm -hmm. humans or just shut down completely uh, so i haven't really and i may walk away going well i nailed that you know phyllis never feels fear anymore no it's not that she doesn't feel fear she just never tells me she just never shares it uh, with me. So our goal in practicing the four motion will endlessly get people to retrain in their brain to do this uh, in real time, uh, to be able to be present uh, with each other. So what should people do uh, to start? I just, and I've sat with thousands and thousands of couples, I just beg you, give it a shot. Uh, do the core motion wheel. I mean, we've literally had couples email us and say, you know, we did it once and we had a huge fight, so we'll never do it again. Uh, if, if you went to exercise your first day and it was difficult, I hope you don't go, I went to exercise and it was difficult. So I'm never exercising. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to sit on my couch the rest of my life mm -hmm. and gain weight and get heavier and heavier and heavier. What? No, 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 no. I, I get it. Uh, I'm not a big exercise buff. I kind of hate exercising, but I have to do it because I have to, you know, take care of my uh, body. So. Uh, and I have teammates around me that encourage me and challenge me and go, okay, you got to keep moving. And especially as a therapist and as a writer, you mostly sit. So <laughs> my whole vocation is around sitting. So I really have to have people push me to not just uh, sit. But that doesn't mean that I'm loving it. That doesn't mean that I'm excited about, you know, exercising every day, but uh, I still need to do it. So I would just beg people, plead with them, do the core motion wheel. I don't know how many times you'll need to do it before it becomes comfortable. So we'll just call that number X. And I don't know what X is, but whatever it is, hurry up and get to X. 
so it might be 11 times, it might be 305 times that you have to do it before it becomes smooth. 305 is a lot, probably not 305, but it might be dozens of times before you do it, before it becomes automatic, before it becomes smoother. But this is the human condition. If you will do this, uh, we have a son-in-law who recently ran a hundred mile race, a hundred miles. Wow. Uh, are you kidding? A <laughs> hundred miles. Uh, we have a daughter who ran a 40 mile race. I don't think that's possible. Uh, and I'm hoping they get cars next year so they don't have to run uh, that much. <laughs> yeah, but um, I can't fathom running uh, that much, but yeah, they just did it, but they didn't do it just on a whim you know, they prepped uh, for that. So it takes some training to be able to get to that uh, level. I can't fathom everything <laughs> level. Uh, but he did this impossible thing. Well, yeah, it's because he just kept at it. Uh, and because of that, he's able to do this phenomenal uh, accomplishment. Well, the same is true. It's mm. just training, retraining technically, but training. So get started on it and you'll get where you want to be. You know, uh, talking about that 100 mile race, um, Getting to witness that was quite amazing to us. Um, to be in a group, because it was an ultramarathon runner event, and the, so there were you know, other people trying to accomplish the same thing. And the thing that really struck me is that none of them did it pretty. None of them looked amazing. They were hurting horribly by the end. And it was, it was quite eye-opening, because I think that we have a mentality that everything should be easy, that just like with obtaining good emotional health, that it should be easy. Like, uh, like with the core emotion wheel, that's just a tool. And, and I think people do it one time and go, no, that wasn't easy, I don't wanna do it again. And it's like most things that we accomplish uh, on, a, on a big scale is not easy. It's not pretty. And uh, you know, my son-in-law, he's a firefighter. Uh, he's amazingly fit. And at mile 50, he collapsed and wept like a baby. And I've heard others say that 50 miles is one of those ultra marathon things where your body shuts down and you weep. It doesn't matter who you are. And I, I'm like, wow, that's really incredible. And, and, and our daughter just held him. And, uh, and then he got up and, and kept going. And, you know, and at 100 miles, he also wept like a baby. And, and it, it's like seeing all those guys out there and women running and, and it was like, I was amazed because I think if I'd have met them in a different setting, I would have never dreamed. I would have not gone, ooh, he must be a hundred miler. No, they, they looked like ordinary people. They didn't look like supermen, superwomen. It was ordinary people, but they had a mentality that, and, it, and our, our daughter that ran the 40 miles, we were, we were doing a few miles with her. And um, I said, I, I just don't even get it. Um, and she said, mom, it's running is mental. It's a mental decision and you make the decision in your mind and then you do it. Mm. And, and I think that with things like emotional health and, and yes, we've developed just a simple tool. It's called the core emotion wheel. Um, it's simply to help people start the process. You know, it's like you have to start somewhere. And when you realize that your physical health and your emotional health are very important, then you go, okay, all right, this is not gonna be easy. This is not, it's gonna be something I have to work at and give yourself grace, give yourself uh, extra love 
but yes, it'll be hard, but it's mm. so rewarding and it's so important. And I think that it opens up a whole new world in your relationships, your marriage, your children. Oh my goodness. Sometimes I just want to say, you know what, do this for your kids. And I feel that way, even about physical exercise and what you eat, get your act together so you can help your kids, mm. you know, raise them drinking water so that they'll be healthier adults. Like I was raised with a mother who, um, she never drank water. And as she got older, her kidneys started to shut down and the doctor was like, you got to drink water. And she just felt like I would rather die than drink water. And it's so funny because now the younger generation, water's everywhere, bottled water, you buy bottled water. Like we just, it's a different generation. And I'm thankful for that, that we've broken that. But my mom was raised when in a generation where you didn't drink water. Like nobody drank water at her age, you know? And so as she got older, she hated water. She was always like, oh, it tastes horrible. I hate water, you know? And it's just amazing. So we have to think of ourselves as, okay, emotionally, how can we get healthy so we can teach our children to be healthy? Let's break this generational curse. Yeah. Wow, wow, I love that. If I can just say this too, I love the analogy. Uh, I think it was your son or son-in-law running the race. And it's like, we are called as followers of Jesus to run a race. And I think the only way we make it to the end of the race is if we stop and continue to create a lifestyle of processing the emotion. I feel like that's a great illustration, great analogy for what really what we're talking about in context to our relationship with God who created all emotion and all emotion mm -hmm. is good. And we're not talking about emotions being the ones that rule everything and sadness is supposed to rule your life and take you out. And cause you know, we're living in a, in a season in this pandemic where people are taking their lives. They're giving up on their dreams. They're giving up on hope. They're giving up on promises that they felt God spoke to them. And yet, where is it? You know, they've lost their business. They've lost relationships. They've been betrayed. And there's just so much giving up. And in these moments, if we're going to continue the race and not stop and give up, if we're going to make it to the finish line, I just believe that we need to develop healthy habits. And I just, I'm a huge proponent of Dr. Glenn and Phyllis Hill's practice because I feel like it offers, yes, the core motion wheel is a tool, but it offers a lifestyle of learning how to finish well and marriage, you know, leadership moments you know, friendships, parenting, how do we finish well? I wish mm -hmm. that we had this when we first got married 13 years ago. I wish that we learned these tools. And we're at this point. I know for us, it, when we first did the wheel the first time, it was hard. Oh, yeah. It was challenging. I felt yeah. like we probably used it as like an attack mechanism. Well, I felt shame when you did this. And we didn't really understand, but we didn't give up. Yeah, I would say it. do it for a month straight. Yeah, I definitely felt ashamed. I felt weak sharing my emotions. Like I felt like I was had to like swallow my pride, literally, and had to push through the pride because I just felt so like, I felt weakness. That's what I felt. I felt like sharing my emotion made me weak. And it was like, a, it was hitting me. It was hitting my pride and I had to push through. And then you quickly discover that's a, that's a lie. It's a lie that you've been holding on to. Yeah, and, yeah. and I, I just, I would love it just for time's sake. If you would, there's people watching right now that are like your, was it your son-in-law or your son? Son-in-law ran a hundred. Mm -hmm. A lot of people that I feel like are running the race of life, business, marriage, whatever. And they're, they, they want to give up mm -hmm. and I want to encourage them today. Yeah. And I also want to encourage the encouraged 
to keep on dreaming, to keep on believing. But yeah. both sides of the coin, whether you feel like you're in a negative space or a positive space during this season, as you process this season, as you continue to move on, we both, whether you're encouraged or discouraged, need to continue to create a lifestyle of processing our emotion and processing the season that we're in, developing healthy emotional habits. So I would love it if both of you, however you feel led, just to to, to encourage those that are watching right now, those that are, will watch this after the fact, yeah. those that are watching live yeah. right now, encourage those, pray, maybe pray for those that just need some like life and perspective changing on this whole yeah. emotion is bad. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me mention this real quickly just because it, it it's, stands out to me so much because Phyllis and I didn't get lucky. We didn't win the lottery and, you know, we just found the right one. But there's so much power in connection. Mm -hmm. uh, humans are designed for this. But because Phyllis and I are connected every day and we virtually never disconnect, uh, we're a power couple, not because we're better than anybody else. We just do this really well. We know how to dance. We know how to process through this. So I went to the gym for the first time. It was about three years ago. And uh, I was sat down on a, a, a machine that was for my legs. And the pedals were, something was jammed in the machine and they wouldn't move. And so I went over and got Seth and it was zero to 20 in one-tenth increments. And uh, so I got Seth and I said, this thing's broken. And he sat down and immediately the big pedals began moving when he pushed on them. Like, well, dang, that I don't know, you, you fixed it. That's awesome. And uh, he got up and I sat back down and they got jammed again. They wouldn't move. And uh, I'd set them on four because four is my favorite number. I thought, you know, zero to 20 is that a four. That'll be, you know, no big, no big deal, no problem. And uh, Seth and I'd worked with Seth before. And Seth goes, hold on, let me try something. And he put it to 0.2, not 2.0, but 0.2. And uh, he goes, try this. And I'm like, well, that's insulting, you know, 0.2 out of 20. And uh, with a lot of effort, I was able to budge the stupid pedals. And uh, I was like, well, dang, that, that's embarrassing. And Seth goes, yeah, yeah, I think you'll be all right there. And I'm like, really? 0.2 out of 20? What, what is wrong with me? Well, the, my legs were just weak. My legs just weren't exercised. So that's a huge part of the core emotion wheel is just start exercising. Uh, will you do it at 0.2 out of 20? Maybe, I don't know, but get started. And, uh, and I was amazed that over a period of weeks, uh, I don't, I never got to 20, but I think I got it up to like 10 or 12 uh, or something because I began exercising, but I had to start at point two, which again, felt pretty, uh, pretty weak, pretty uh, pitiful. Uh, but I had to start uh, there to be able to get going uh, on it. You know, um, one of the things about being at the race and being there with our son-in-law that struck me, it was a small event very private. It was in a state park and very like it was cut off. You know, people couldn't just drive in. Um, very small because there aren't that many people that try to run a hundred miles. Mm. Um, and, and yet the camaraderie was incredible and almost so that you could, it was almost like a spiritual experience being there, mm. um, being outside, being in the nature of it, being in the beauty of it. And at first, that there was a three mile course through the woods that was called the like the trail run um as the event went on the uh they brought it in to a half mile circle with the buildings in the middle and they kept everybody really really tight um because the further you go 
the more delirious you become because you don't sleep. So it's a hundred mile race that you don't sleep during the night. You just keep going. And, uh, but the, the support was incredible. And the, even the racers, the, the runners were strangers, did not know each other. But as the hours went on, they actually physically began touching each other when they would pass each other. And because it was a half mile uh, circle, some would go one direction, some would go the other. So they were passing each other a lot and they would even, I, I noticed, cause I did, the, I did the run with my daughter who did the 40 miles. I did it with her some just to love on her and encourage her. And even our family, like our grandchildren, they went out and they were running with our son-in-law. Some of them ran 10 miles with him just because they loved him so much. And they saw the pain, the, the difficulty. They saw his feet bleeding. They wanted to run with him. And those little guys that ran those 10 miles had not trained. They'd never run 10 miles before in their life, but they saw and they loved the, our son-in-law so much that they couldn't help but keep going with him. And I think it just taught me so much in how we need community. Mm. We need, in, in our emotional health, we need each other. So this may be extremely difficult season for you. You need, you need community. And to allow people to see your pain is what allows people that community. So for my son-in-law, he showed his weakness. He showed his tears. He showed his bloody feet. And uh, even in, in the physical side of it, like he did not run with a shirt on because you can't, because it rubs you raw and you begin to bleed in your torso. So you, you don't do that. You take your shirt off. But you saw the agony in his body through the miles and through the night and through the day. And, and it was so incredible to witness that. And I think that we desperately need that with our emotional health. We need that with our mental health during the season. We need that community. And we, and it is, it is a, it's a pretty transparent thing to do. It is so important though, to do this. And, and we would, we would love to pray over you as we finish this time with you. Um, because it is, it's a scary season. It's a scary season to be vulnerable. It's a scary season to be uh, transparent and to be raw, but the end, like if you could see and talk to my son-in-law now and to see the accomplishment and the, just the joy. And even at the very end of the race, like, uh, when he could barely walk to the car, like his feet were in such bad shape. I mean, I just wanted to pick him up, which would have been humanly impossible, but I wanted, I wanted so desperately to carry him. And, but he felt such a high, such a joy that he was like, it's okay, I'm all right, I'll get to the car, I can walk that last stretch, you know, and, and I just felt so helpless because I wanted so much to take away the pain, but he was feeling so much joy over the journey, over the race, over the accomplishment, the mind-blowing accomplishment of 100 miles was just incredible. And I think that we as, as believers, we as people, we need those times. We need the race. We need it to seem real. We need to know that, yes, there's tears, there's blood, there's pain, there's hardship in the race. And we need each other, and we need to speak those words to each other in that encouragement and um, to, to show it, to be that vulnerable, to be that raw. So would love to end this time just praying over all of you. Please. Father, we are just so, so much in need 
of you. And I feel like more than ever, ever in a lot of our lives, just surviving this pandemic has brought out so much, so much in us and our children. And, and I see the pain in the elderly and the loneliness and just the disconnection and children who have not been able to be them, their normal selves in, in sports and in school and in community events. And Father, it's affected us. It's affected us in our church communities where we've not been able to be together, where we've had to, to separate. And it's been so challenging. And Father, we need you desperately, desperately to walk with us. And we need you more than ever to uh, just to hold us through our sadness, through our loneliness and, and through the tears and through the fear. And Father, we pray for a healthy emotional health for all of us during this time and that we know it's okay that we uh that you want to hear from us you want to hear our anger you want to hear our loneliness you want to hear our fears you want to hear our sadness our guilt and our shame you want to hear those and father i pray that as a community we can hear that from each other mm -hmm. that we can simply listen to each other give each other space and safety to be real and to be vulnerable. And Father, we thank you for your son and his example in this, that at times we miss that. We miss his humanness and we miss that throughout your word, the prophets were, were so emotional, but we, mm -hmm. we seem to have missed that. Father, please allow us this time to really find healing as a world, not just a country, as a world, we need to be healed in this time. We need healing more than ever and we pray that we can share this message and that we can embrace this in this season. And we just love you and we thank you. And it's in your son's Jesus's name that we pray. Yeah, we pray for people to have safe uh, other people in their life because mm -hmm. we all need the yes. people we can trust, people mm -hmm. we can turn to, people who know how to ooh just to mm -hmm. be present with us, just like Jesus was with the sisters, uh, to be mm -hmm. safe. Uh, because yes. for so many of us, we struggle sharing because we do not feel safe. We didn't grow up uh, in safety. Yes. And we pray that each person listening to this will have at least one uh, person uh, who's safe for them because we all need that so desperately. For most of us, we have been betrayed and uh, misused and have not uh, experienced that safety, uh, just like we're set up to experience with our parents from birth. A mm -hmm. uh, baby desperately needs safety. They can be held, they can be vulnerable, they can be authentic, and we're just older babies. We need the exact same thing. Father, certainly with you mm -hmm. as our God, but also with each other. We know that the plan, the setup with synagogue, with ecclesia, uh, we need to have a community around us. We're designed for that, we're designed for connection. Mm -hmm. And so we pray that people find that. If, you, if we don't have that with our current circle of uh, uh, acquaintances, make new friends. There's a lot of people out there because we all need that. Pray that that happens literally today uh, mm. for the people here. Yes. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dr. Glenn and Phyllis. We just yes. so appreciate, we love, love all that you are, all that you represent. You have been a huge value to our lives. Yes. And I know so many people watching for the first time or second time, I know that what you've shared today in this conversation has really impacted their life. And so mm -hmm. I want to encourage all of you that are watching 
uh, to join us on the November 9th webinar. It's yeah. four weeks on a Monday night, four Mondays in a row, nine o'clock Eastern Standard Time. If you miss it because you can't make it, uh, you can watch the videos the following day or throughout the week, whenever you want. It's going to be powerful, encouraging, Absolutely. full of activation and yes. moments where you can practice this stuff together. Yes, I love the together. activation part. So I want to encourage you, hop on it. The link and the info is in the description and you'll see it also on the screen for you right now. For the rest of us, I want to encourage you, continue to process this season yes. by developing emotional habits. Thank you for yes. tuning in. We love you, we Kingdom love you Culture. Guys. See you soon. Bye. Man, what an incredible interview so slash good. experience. It has been mind-blowing just to see what you know Dr. Glenn and Phyllis have done within our community already. And so, you know, my wife and I, along with some of the leaders in the house, we will be hosting a connection code experience. So if you are interested, if this has whet your appetite at all to to get involved, to have a better life, a better future, better relationships. Mm -hmm. Do not hesitate to sign up. The link is in the description below. We cannot wait to see your life changed for the better. It has truly changed my life, my wife's life, and everybody we've spoken to, their life has been changed. Yeah, so good. It was so good hearing yeah. from Dr. Glenn and Phyllis this morning. If you were impacted, if Jesus spoke to you, maybe you don't even know Jesus and you want to come into a relationship with him. I want to encourage you this yeah. morning to make this decision. This will be yeah. the most important decision of your Absolutely. life. This will change the game for you and you reestablish and you find a new connection, a new communication with Jesus. And he wants yeah. to encounter you. So if you're hearing this, if you got impacted by this message and you want to say yes, Romans 10 uh, verse 9 says, If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead yeah. and you declare with your mouth, Come you on. shall be saved. So yeah. I just want to encourage you this morning. If you want to say yes, just repeat this quick prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I give you my heart to you. I yeah. want Come to on. establish this new connection with you. Come on, yeah. I want to say yes and I want you to reign in my heart. I give everything to you. Amen. And I declare that you are my Lord and Savior. Yeah. In your precious name. Amen. So if you said Amazing. yes, if you pray yes. this prayer, you let us know. Prayer at kingdomculture.ca. would love to send you some resources. Get connected with yeah. you in this season. God bless you, Kingdom Culture family. See you next week. It's going to be a good one. Love you guys.